Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hello, guys, and welcome to episode nine of Travel Talks. So I'm going to start by letting you into a little secret. I absolutely hate doing these intro bits, and they always take probably five takes to do. So I'm going to try and do this one in one take with no edits as well. So in today's episode, it's the first episode of series two with YouTuber Carl Watson. So Carl is a YouTuber with 125,000 subscribers and over 10 million channel views too. He's become one of my favorite channels through lockdown because he's made travel documentaries in virtually every single country in the world. His biggest ever series was HK2NY where like the name suggests, he traveled from Hong Kong to New York and all the different countries in between and picked up some amazing stories along the way. In this episode, we speak about his tips on planning his trips and all of the incredible stories from climbing Everest Base Camp to diving in the Great Barrier Reef. So there we go. I actually did it in one take. I didn't expect to do that. I hope you guys enjoy this episode as much as I did, and I'll let you listen to it now. I remember posting pictures of it on like Facebook back in the day, and I was going, oh my God, how much did you spend on that place? Like six pounds. Like, like what? That's how much I spent on this pint, you know? So... And I remember I got to a certain point going, oh, that's a better view of Everest than I ever imagined getting. Um, but then just sort of sit, you know, and just take it in. And it's, it's such an amazing viewpoint because you can see right down to Lauterbrunn Valley and all the way up to the Jungfrau Peak and stuff. The only sound you can hear is like waterfalls in the distance, you know, and no cars, no nothing. The really fun thing you have there is that they have the beer hoy, just like this locally brewed beer that you have to drink on a day, and it's like 15p for a glass. You sit there with backpackers and locals chatting away, and that's um, yeah, that can be so much fun. Every bar's got live music in, and the, all the bands are amazing. It's not like walking into a pub with a crappy cover band destroying your favorite song. Like they're all amazing. If you can afford to travel then the world's like this giant playground of so many adventures and experiences and people you can meet. And to sort of not do it to me seems like a waste. Carl, it's so great to have you on the podcast, mate. How are you doing? I'm not too bad, all things considered. Like, I'm 2020 good, which is a yeah. different version yep. of good, but I'm, I'm good. <laughs> I'm doing well. Yeah. How about yourself? Yeah, not too bad, mate. Getting getting better day by day. And yeah, we're nearing that end of lockdown too, which is just, yeah. Yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. We'll see, just sort of go back to uh, booking a table in a pub and drinking <laughs> awkwardly, which is better than not doing it at all, but it's always a bit weird. <laughs> exactly, you kind of uh, forget how much you miss that. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I wanted to start by wishing you a belated happy birthday. Oh, cheers, mate. <laughs> I, I, I enjoy watching your birthday live stream on a uh, delay. Oh, you watched it, cool. Yeah, um, how was it spending your birthday at home? Uh, it was okay. I mean, uh, I had some freelance work on so I sort of kept myself busy and um I just uh for the evening I was like rather than just sitting 
drinking by myself and watching TV. I'll drink by myself in front of the, the computer. And I just did like, so I do like a live Q and my YouTube channel, like every month or two. Mm. And I was like, oh, screw it. I'll just do it on my birthday. And, and I just, yeah, people paid me money to get drunk. It was kind of yeah. fun. So <laughs> people are going, happy birthday, mate. Here, have some money. I was like, all right, cool. And necky drink and stuff like that. And so, yeah, I haven't watched it back because I don't really want to, because it'd probably just be me just sl- uh, like kind of slurring my words and talking out of shit. But <laughs> it was fun anyway. Yeah, I enjoyed it. Is there a best place that you've spent your birthday? Um, I've always, well, apart from one year, I've always spent my birthday at home, um, like, well, in the UK, just so I could sort of see my friends and family. But last year, James and I were in the States. We're out in, a, uh, we're in Virginia for a friend's wedding. And then my birthday was actually, uh, we were in Washington, D.C. And the wedding was a Saturday night, but birthday was a Sunday. And we got the, the taxi in the morning up to D.C., checked into this hostel. And they were starting to give us all the spiel, like, oh, welcome to D.C. This is how a hostel works. But I'm like, yeah, 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 just, just take our bags. Just, just, you know, and then dumped our bags, went into a bar across the road like a sports bar yeah it was great fun because just in america everyone wants to chat to you because you got yeah. an english accent and then you throw in that it's your birthday and it's just free drinks all around it was a great time what an experience yeah. i wanted to start by asking a question which i ask everyone who comes on the podcast yeah how important is travel to you uh very important and it's sort of i mean the sort of the silver lining of everything that's happened this year it's like a healthy reminder of how mm. much it means to you but i think I mean, it's my favorite thing to do. And it just, it's like every time I go away, it's like, uh, it's kind of like an old computer game where if you get like the health bit, it regenerates your health. Mm, It's sort mm. of like, it sort of just regenerates me and just makes you sort of feel like you're living your life every time you're away and actually experiencing stuff. Because, and I do love the phrase, you only live once, but it did get bastardized a few years ago with the whole YOLO of people going, oh, let's go out Friday night, YOLO, you know. Yeah. Uh, but it is true, you do only live once. And it's like, you've got one chance on this planet and there's so much to see and do. And we're in a sort of, you know, from a privileged enough background to be able to travel. So sort of not doing it would seem like a massive waste. It's like, it's if you can afford to travel, then the world's like this giant playground of so many adventures and experiences and people you can meet. And to sort of not do it to me seems like a waste. So, uh, yeah, it's really it's really important, basically. Completely agree. Did your love of travel come from childhood, or have you developed into it as you've become an adult? Yeah, we've always like my family always travelled growing up. We always went on big holidays, and um, uh, and we weren't you know like a rich family or anything. It wasn't like right, let's go off in daddy's yacht and <laughs> you know swim in a padding pool full of champagne. It was we were just like sort of standard middle class family, but we went on like in terms of like other kids in my class at school, we went on the biggest holidays. And the reason was, is because my parents would budget for it all year. They would save and save. And so, um, and then when we first went away, we'd just be like five of us crammed into a motel six room and, you know, cooking our own food. So like, uh, you know, as my parents' careers progressed, we could afford like, you know, to eat out and stuff like that. But, uh, but it, yeah, ever since I was a kid, we just always traveled. So it's always been a thing I've done. And then, obviously your passion for it changes like the first time you go away without your parents is a completely different vibe Mm -hmm. and and then when I did my first proper backpacking trip 2006 that's just when I you know got the full-on travel bug of like oh my god this is so much fun and you know this is way more fun than working so (laughs) Uh, so that's kind of what properly ignited it brilliant so I wanted to start by telling you that your channel has become one of my favorites in the recent months, especially because of lockdown. I've just been binging all of your videos. Nice one. And I've been making sure to watch them on the TV as well to get the full experience. Watched all of HK to NY in, I'd say, two days. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> so how did you start making travel documentaries? What sparked that for you? I was 
doing uh so my undergraduate course was in music and then um there's no jobs in music so i was like right i'll do a postgrad course of like video editing get into film because i was always a big movie fan mm. and then as soon as you start editing you need stuff to edit and i think every sort of film student dreams of you know directing some kind of movie but for that you need a script you need actors you need this that and the other i was like well why don't i just go do something fun and film that and i like travel documentaries i've seen on tv and i like you know behind the scenes documentaries on movies or or bands sort of tour documentaries so i like those kind of documentaries where you feel like you're there with them mm. on their experience whether it be traveling or making a movie or whatever so why don't i just apply that formula to one of my trips and so that's what i started doing and it was just it was just for the creative exercise and have something fun to do you know on the trip like something mm. creative to do on the trip something fun to do and get back and have this nice souvenir and there was never any big plan of like you know having a youtube but youtube channels mm. didn't properly exist when i this like my first travel video I made was 2007 youtube was just this platform you could upload a video to but it wasn't you know yeah being a youtuber wasn't a phrase being a vlogger wasn't even a word i mean belly is <laughs> a word now anyway but um and so it was just it was just that and like when i started working in videos like uh the when you first start working professionally you're just doing the dullest corporate videos you've ever seen so it's like well you know that'll pay my bills but then i'll go off and put all my creativity into these travel films but there was never any grand scheme mm. it's just kind of grown in front of me and with the whole hk to ny trip i was like right let's go do the biggest trip ever and we'll film it all and act like we've been made to do a tv series yeah even though we just got one little shitty home video camera and then cut it together thought maybe my mates who i made on the trip would watch it but didn't yeah. expect it to take off and it just so there's no there's no grand scheme that's the mm. reason the channel's yeah. called Carl Watson travel documentaries like oh well, let's just call it what it is rather than because I can't go back and rebrand all of them as some kind of wanderlust thing mm. so it just it's just kind of just grown in front of me yeah that first travel documentary in 2007 where did you go that was uh we went to Switzerland uh to where I just went to in September I I was in Switzerland for a job and I had sort of had like a one-day holiday it was in the same place and we were just there for like a long weekend and it was just like that was like my first time of talking to the camera, you mm. know, like at this, the start of the video, I'm talking to the camera in the car and I remember just absolutely shitting it before yeah. I like just been so even I'm in the car by myself and yeah. no one's going to watch this video. Uh, if I get it wrong, I was still so nervous, but we did the video and it had some funny moments and showed it to some friends and they enjoyed it. It's like, mm. all right, let's just try again and try and get better and better. And it's always, you know, anytime you're learning something, it's just trial and error and trial mm. and error. And it was just, you know, when I showed them to my friends and stuff, they did they did enjoy them. And not in like a sort of your friends and family just being polite, like, oh, that's really yeah. good. It's like you could tell them going, oh shit, that's actually that's actually yeah. entertaining. So um that's what kind of egged me on. Brilliant. Yeah, you spoke about HK2NY there, and you've said yourself it's the series that basically launched your YouTube channel. You did 20 countries in four yeah. continents. How did you plan that trip? Um, so the plan for that trip, so I my first back backing trip in 2006 was like six months and I did a working holiday sort of mini working holiday visa in New Zealand and so for this one I was like right rather than just focus in one place I want to go to as many places as possible you know I was kind of inspired by like the long way round and long way down Ian McGregor and Charlie Borman series and so the initial idea I had was oh what if we could do London to New York and go everywhere and then started doing the maths it's like that's going to take a lifetime to save up for because <laughs> one of the key things for this trip as well is like i don't want to work a single day on it yeah like, you know i don't want to be doing any 
crappy bar jobs or you know uh, cleaning bed sheets in hostels or anything like that I just mm-hmm. just pure nine months of traveling so once I realized I couldn't do the whole world I was like well let's focus it more on the sort of younger backpacking scene spots because you, you're never too old to go traveling you're never too old to go backpacking even but you don't want to be 50 years old at the hostel with a bunch of 21 year olds uh, I mean you can do but you know it sort of may as well do focus on those places whilst we're that age. I mean, we're still 29, so we're kind of older than a lot of people we met on the trip. But mm. sort of just, I just focused it on that party backpacker scene, so we could do that, you know, whilst we were that age. And it just started. Just so I was like, oh, we'll do Southeast Asia, do Australia, go back to New Zealand, and then do bits of South America. The only reason we did a little bit of Central America because you had to change planes there anyway. So like, oh, oh, really? we'll okay. add that in. I'd been to America a lot growing up, the family, but we'd never done all the way across and hadn't done the deep south so mm. that's how oh, that final note came together awesome and you mentioned that it's this amazing trip across the entire world would you change it in any way is there any way you uh, wish you stayed longer for example well i wish you stayed everywhere longer i <laughs> <laughs> uh, could have easily done 18 months but i think the well the bit i think we messed up with the trip was the last leg across the states like we didn't i didn't plan it well enough uh, because there isn't a backpacking scene like other countries mm. you can just show up go to a hostel and there's a huge list of activities whilst in america there wasn't really hostels and you know you go into a motel and all the leaflets are for like family days out and stuff mm. and so we kind of messed up with that one and plus there was like a, a government shutdown whilst we were there so all the national parks were shut oh, wow. um, so we kind of just did a sort of drinking mini golf tour of the states which was <laughs> which was fun but didn't make the best video um if we went back and did the exact same route again, we could probably do a hell of a lot better trip and just plan it better. But in hindsight, considering the kind of backpacking we were enjoying, we probably should have uh, just carried on going through Central America and mm. finished in Cancun or something. I mean, Hong Kong to Cancun doesn't have the same ring <laughs> to it. Uh, but, you know, that's probably what we should have done. Yeah, and it's nine months, 11 episodes. So yeah. I'm an editor myself, and watching that made me anxious. Just the sheer <laughs> amount of footage you must have had to work with. What was yeah. it like going through all of that footage? Uh, it was fun. I mean, I remember when I f- first got back, and I was like, right, I'd better start putting this all into Final Cut and organizing it and seeing if we've actually got a series here. Because uh, I wasn't sure if we'd filmed enough. And uh, the strangest bit was looking at the footage of us at Heathrow Airport at the start. Because, you know, I hadn't watched any of the footage whilst we were away because my the laptop I took with me was like dying the entire time. So I couldn't really watch any of it back. And seeing us at the airport just felt like a lifetime ago. It didn't feel like nine months, felt like three or four years. Mm-hmm. And James looked so young and so different. <laughs> um, the thing is the haircut James has at the start yeah, of the trip. He, he really changed throughout the trip. He, he had that haircut the entire time I'd known him, which had already been like 10 years. Mm-hmm. So he'd always looked like that. But then across the trip, you know, he grew his hair and got a tan and all that. And and so it was so weird, like barely recognizing that, even though that's the version of him I know the longest time. So that was cool. But then it's just terms from an editing perspective, you know, people go, how do you edit nine months of footage? It's not like you get the whole footage and put it on a massive timeline and mm. start like you just break it up the country, then place and then mm. activity and you sort of break it all down to the little moments and then just start building it back up again. So it's sort of, you know, you're just editing one day or one location at a time rather than thinking about, Oh God, I got nine months. Mm. Uh, I mean, it took about a year to edit. Um, oh, really? Wow. But not, not, not like it wasn't like a year nonstop. It was like oh. I was, I got back to a full time job and I was sort of doing it like in the evenings or 
or when no one was looking at my computer screen or stuff like that. Mm. So, uh, so yeah, it took a while, but it was worth it. So your documentaries are brilliant and the storytelling element of it perhaps is what sets it apart from others. When did you learn to produce those style of films? I think, I mean, they were sort of, I was trying to aim for that style the whole time. So it wasn't because some people sort of see my channel who've only just discovered my channel. They sort of think, oh, what made you do those kind of documentaries rather than vlogs? Mm. And it's like, oh, I wasn't doing it instead of vlogs or a reaction to vlogs. It's just vlogs weren't really around when I started doing it. I was just copying the t- travel documentaries I liked on TV, like the ones I mentioned already, like Long Way Round. So it was just kind of trying to copy that. And it's also, I think, you know, because I want people to watch it, I want them to feel like they're on the trip with us and mm. sort of big escapism, they hit plane, they forget they're sitting in front of their TV. And I think the way you do that is just by being honest about the experience. Like, because if you just sort of say everything's amazing and awesome, mm. then it just gets real boring really quick. <laughs> whilst if you show, whilst we were having the time of our lives and best nine months ever, not every moment was perfect. And mm. some, you know, you got the shitty journeys and the days you're tired and things don't meet your expectations. And you kind of, you know, show, show the peaks and troughs. And then it, um, it tells a more engaging story and also the audience is with you. So if they, if they've seen you when times are bad or when times are tiring, they'll believe you when you sort of say, "No, this is the yeah. most beautiful place ever." So it's just, I think it's just uh, taking the audience actually on the journey rather than just a happy montage of everything being perfect. And you mentioned that first trip was it to Love to Love to Uh Yeah. So it was. Uh, it was. We were staying that trip. We stayed in Interlaken because we we're staying at a hostel. And we were there uh, in the winter for like a festival. So uh, it was really cool. It was obviously really cool. It was winter. But but yeah, that's one of my favorite places in the world, that spot. Yeah. And do you have a favorite documentary that you've ever made? It's hard. It is hard to pick. I know it sounds like you sound like a a cliched parent going, no, I can't pick my favorite child. Um, (laughs) uh, Because, yeah, they do all mean different stuff to you. I mean, I was really really pleased with the uh the morocco series um mm. from last year that was the first tour that i'd hosted and organized and it was because uh, we had a brilliant guide with this it was also really funny and it had like a group of people who are all up for being on camera and so it, it had sort of had the sort of perfect balance for me for what i like of sort of information and banter like if mm. it's all cold hard information it could get a bit dull if it's all banter it's a bit like all right, well, we weren't there and get on with yeah. the story. But there's that. And I think the Quest Forever series as well, I was really pleased with because mm. I, I learned so much from making HK to NY. I sort of got to apply it to the Quest Foreverest. And it's, and like when when you're filming a trip, you sort of have to make peace with the fact you're not going to be able to capture every moment and every best bit, but you sort of hopefully you'll capture the spirit of the trip. And it's a bit like when they someone adapts a book to a movie. It's like, well, we can't film every page, but we'll yeah. try and capture the spirit of it. And so I, in terms of using that analogy, I think the Quest for Everest trip was a, a lot better adaptation. It was like a mm-hmm. lot closer to uh, that. That's a lot closer to what it was like. Not that HK2 and Wise, I don't think about it as false or anything, but it just... Yeah. It's just the sort of when I came to edit that, I was like, oh, if only we filmed that, if only we filmed mm. that was Quest for Everest, we had it. Yeah. And just on the Quest for Everest whilst we're there, I was going to touch on this later, but the scariest moment you've ever experienced whilst traveling, just because I thought of the time where Chris got altitude sickness during yeah. that series, was that the scariest moment for you? It wasn't, um, it wasn't that scary because it, it was all, by the time we realized how bad a condition he was in, he was in hospital so he was okay. okay so it was kind of 
because the whole day he just kept saying he was tired. I'm like, oh, you were right. He went, yeah, I'm just tired. I'm like, oh, okay. Mm-hmm. So I just carried on filming, and, <laughs> you know, and it wasn't, luckily out of the 15 people on that tour, um, four of them were doctors. <laughs> and so eventually someone went, oh, we need to get him to uh, the, the doctor. Because when we got to the hotel in the town we're staying that night, he could barely walk up the stairs. And I was thinking, yeah, maybe we do need to get you some paracetamol or something, <laughs> you know? Um, so we got him to the hospital you know, they put him on oxygen and they measured his oxygen blood level and you're supposed to be in like high nineties. And he was mm. like 53. And so, and one of the doctors who was tra- tra- traveling with us when he saw it, he sort of did a double check. Like, was it, was it mm. really? He was like, oh, you couldn't believe it. So it was a lot more serious than we realized, but then he was okay. And he sort of went had three nights in three different hospitals. Mm. And I remember actually that trip, you know, Beijing was amazing. The train journey was cool. And it was amazing being in Tibet. But then after that, I was thinking, Oh, I wanted this to be a bit more of an adventure because we're just doing lots of guided tours and monasteries. Like mm. the first two are great, but then third, fourth, and fifth monastery, you're like, you know, <laughs> it just felt like we're just walking around taking pictures rather than mm. on an adventure. And I was like, oh, I could, I wish this trip would liven up and then on cue, <laughs> Chris. Uh, so uh, when, I remember when we left the tour um, and we drove back to the capital of Tibet, Lhasa, and then and we're in the ambulance. And by now, Chris is feeling fine. He just has to be on oxygen. And we had like three hours in the ambulance. And he was just saying to me, oh, mate, I'm so sorry for this. I was like, no, mate, this is great. This is like, <laughs> you know, and he's like, oh, but we missed out on Everest. Like, oh, we'll figure it out. We'll get back there. We'll do something. Don't worry. But this is, this is like turned to a proper adventure now. So yeah. um, it was kind of cool. So do you have a scariest moment from traveling at all? I, I'm trying, like this one I get asked a lot. And mm. um, there's never been a moment where I've really felt in danger or anything like that. And it's... And it's amazing that like if someone tells you a place is dangerous, then you'll start like feeling nervous. Whilst it's almost like the ignorance is bliss. Uh, like when we did the first time in Africa trip, and you know we'd be driving on this bus for uh, G Adventures bus for hours on end, and we'd always stop at these tiny little towns just to get some food. And then one of the towns, which looks no different than any other ones, they said, "Oh, keep an eye out because we've heard lots of problems of pickpocketing and mm. muggings around here." And so that suddenly you were just nervous for half yeah. an hour and it's like, oh, is that a dodgy person or are they just walking past, you know? And, and it just made me realize how much it can, it can be, you know, in your head. Not to say that bad things don't happen or anything like that. It's just, it just comes down to using your common sense. But I've never, you know, the scariest moment would just be bungee jumps and stuff like that. Yeah. It's just all self-inflicted. So. Yeah, you've done your fair share of those. Yeah, I've done enough now. I'm good. <laughs> it's good fun. I've literally got the T-shirt and I'm done now. So. so just to move back to videography, yeah, does it ever feel like a job to you whilst you're away filming these videos? I think you sort of you gradually learn the balance of when to put the camera away, like, mm. and especially with more practice, you can think, right, I've got the shots I need. I can put the camera away and just chill now, or, or I've filmed enough of this town. I've got two more days here. I don't have to worry about anything. So you, you have to sort of keep your brain on sort of make sure you're getting the mm. footage you want, but you just, you try and make it a part of the fun rather than the burden. Uh, there was one trip 2017 where I was going to uh, travel through the Balkans for six weeks. And then on the first day I got there, I was like, Oh, I just can't be bothered. Like I, I got the camera out, started talking to it. I was like, I'd had like such a full on year of like traveling and making films and working hard. Um, and it was great, but I just realized I needed just a holiday just. And so I, I changed the trip from six weeks to three weeks and just, you know, 
didn't actually get up to much, just sort of relaxed. And, mm. and it was, it was the best decision. And it was just sort of a nice chance to pause going, well, do I actually want to do this still? Am I sick of it? Or do, do I just need a break? And it just turned out I just needed a break. And so I make sure I give myself that time on other trips now, like, um, the Central America trip I did summer 2018, mm. I knew I was going to be working flat out until I flew out there because um, I had a busy job on. And so at the start of the trip, I gave myself like five days or four days in Cancun where I just sat by the pool. And then I was like, well, I'll have that chill. Then I'll start filming and start the trip. So um, uh, so you got your energy back to actually start filming and go on an adventure rather than just sitting by a pool. And in terms of planning for a trip, there's almost no better person to ask so <laughs> i wondered if you could give some advice to our listeners when they come up with let's say an idea or a few lists of countries yeah how would you go about planning a trip so the my first stop for planning a trip if it's a country i don't know much about <laughs> i nearly did a shameless plug like well watch my channel no um <laughs> no the, the way i the way i plan a, a trip is i'll look and see what the tour companies are doing mm. and steal their ideas um which I mean, I will sort of work with Intrepid now with tours. I probably shouldn't say that, but yeah, just <laughs> steal uh, steal their ideas because they've already figured out the best routes and best itineraries. They've traveled those places to death. So see what routes they're doing. I mean, that's how I planned HK to NY. I was just like, mm. right, let's see what GeoVentures Intrepid are doing through Thailand and uh, or Southeast Asia in general. And, and then usually the tours are really fast paced. You sort of just double the time scale or triple it. Mm. Um, but you can get an idea of a route, then you can sort of go onto websites like Wiki Travel, and you'll start seeing like things to do in each place. And then you start going to Hostel World and just looking up good hostels. And you can just start just you know planning out a trip and getting a rough idea idea of a budget from that. So yeah, it's basically just. And then you can also just search like you know for blogs for like top ten things to do in this thing or whatever. Yeah. Um, or two-week itinerary thailand but yeah just start with the tour companies because they've got it figured out the best route so you can just but then you can change it to sort of like go oh maybe i don't want to do that bit and maybe mm. I want to spend longer there but that's that's how i start brilliant and in terms of pros and cons of planning obviously some people will tell you plan every detail and some people will say arrive in a destination with no plans whatsoever and make it up as you go along on that yeah. scale where would you say you sit well i sit somewhere well, for me, it's in the middle. Probably some people say I'm more towards the full and plan stage, but uh, it like the whole thing of sort of showing a place and with uh, no plan and just go with the flow. It's mm. lovely, but that's only if you've got a lot of time. If you're sort of thinking, oh, I'm going to go away for a year and I don't really mind what I do, then that's fine. But if you've got two weeks, you know, then you probably want to make more better use of your time. Mm. And so, but for me, I'll come up with a plan of a trip that could be quite detailed, but I only ever use it as a guide. Like this mm. is a version of the trip I can do, but if I show up and then decide, oh, I can't be bothered to do that, or there's something better on offer, I'm never going to be like, well, sorry, the itinerary shows up. <laughs> it's like, well, no, just, it's just, that's a version of the trip you can do. And the plans always change um, when you're there. I mean, like on the Vietnam trip and on the Central America trip, I sort of talked about it in the videos, how I was going to do this route, but now I'm going to do that. And so the plans change, but it's just, by planning it out, it means you can make the most of your time when you're there. It can help you budget for the trip and sort of by sort of budgeting right for it as well. You, it means you're not going to show up at a place and go, oh, there's all these amazing things to do, but I can't afford them. Mm. You know, like if you went to Australia, which a lot of first time backpackers do, there's so many cool activities, but they all cost like one, two, three hundred dollars. Mm. And like, uh, and if you want to do a lot of them, you're going to have to save up for quite a while. So it, 
that's where the planning helps out. But yeah, just have a plan, but then it's just a guide. Nice. You've had some amazing times going on tours in the past around all different countries in the entire world. It's something that I've never done. Would yeah. you recommend this to me? Yeah, it just it depends. It depends what you want out of a trip, and mm. uh, it depends where you're going as well. Uh, like if you're going to a place that's got a big backpacking scene and it's easy to travel around, um, you don't need to go on a tour. Whilst other places like Southern Africa, yes, you could do it by yourself, but you'd be sitting on a coach for. 12 hours with no one to talk to and stuff whilst on our bus we had like our guides who are local and they're teaching us stuff and we've got a big group having a laugh together and we're sort of going to places you can't get to via public transport so it depends where you're going one of the tours we were hoping to do this january um this is an idea we had in the summer but it's obviously not going to happen was we were going to do a tour going back to thailand and thailand's a place you don't need to do a tour at all like it's it's so easy to travel around but it was like well what what value could we add by actually hosting a tour there? Like, you know, I, mean, I was going to call the tour Thailand Revisited. It's like, you know, I've been there once and did like, you know, the full moon and Chiang Mai and the, the beach and all that kind of stuff. Um, but on a second trip there, we were going to sort of, you know, have a local guide, do lots of cycling, go off the beaten track and sort of learn a lot more about the country. It just depends what kind of experience you want. There's no right or wrong answer for doing tours it mm. just depends where you're going what you want out of it uh how flexible you are with your time um if if you're traveling by yourself and you go into a place where there's no other travelers and you want people to share the experience with then a tour is a good option but it it just it just depends yeah it it, it depends is basically my uh my <laughs> sitting on the fence answer <laughs> i wanted to talk now about your latest brilliant documentary discover queensland oh cheers yeah. what made you want to create the film four years on i wanted so this series was take um i basically did three trips out to queensland and australia for sta travel mm. shooting promo videos for sta travel and tourism queensland and we uh each time i was out there was for three weeks and we did so many incredible experiences and shot some of the best footage i've ever got and i had like you know other people filming as well like we had an underwater photographer and um this guy jacob i was traveling with was filming too and but all that footage i said oh do you want me to do stuff for my youtube channel as well and they're like no nah, just focus on the promo videos um just focus on that job and i didn't have as big a channel back then and it just it was always frustrating me a little bit because they, they used them on their Facebook ads, which just came mm. and went. Yeah, and then, and they put them on their YouTube channel, but they got, like some of the videos got like 300 views, which yeah. is like nothing. And so it was always just a bit frustrating and I always kind of wanted to do something more with it. And we never had anything in writing, like they own the footage, mm. but I just never did anything with it. Cause it's like, oh, I've sat on respect and just yeah. in case you don't want to sour that relationship with them. Then they went under, um, which was you know really really sad. And I, you know, I still have friends who work there, and it was really sad that the company went under. But then I suddenly went, oh, yeah. now I can use them. <laughs> they can't sue me now; they don't yeah. exist. Um, which sounds really harsh, but I was just like, I was like, but it felt good. It's like I could actually give this footage a home and and actually fleshed it out into two whole episodes. There's like this one bit where we're staying at this farm stay, and it's like a five minute scene. And that was like 15 seconds in a promo video before of just like, oh, oh really? this is great. And so that's actually flesh out all the moments and show all the information. And we did lots of stuff on conservation as well. Um, so it's so great to have it finally as a series, but it is different because it's like, I was behind the camera for a lot of it. And mm. it's like four different stories cut together. So it's kind of like a TV show where it's like, yeah. right now we're going to catch up this lot and that one. So it was a, a really, really fun editing challenge to make work. But um, yeah, I'm super pleased with it. Is there a favorite moment from the trip? 
I wanted to highlight the the helicopter ride that the um, homestay took you on. It was incredible. Yeah, that was so. That was a great little moment. I mean, I, I explained it all in the video, but we arrived at this farmer's day, and just got got straight off the bus. And the the guy on the farm, Ron, was there. He was a lovely bloke, and he's like, "Oh, you must be the cameraman," because I'm holding the camera. And uh, I was like, "Yeah." He goes, "Oh, do you want to go up in the helicopter?" I was like, "Yes." And so, and it's like this old little helicopter used by the uh, American Army in the Vietnam War, and we just went straight up and because the sun was setting it's like right let's go and so that was that was a great evening but I, th- I think one of the best moments of that was on the first trip when we were when we we're out in the barrier reef because these jobs like like all the stuff on my youtube channel like those trips i've paid for myself it's not sponsored it's all out of my own back pocket but these trips were paid for by sta i was being paid to film them and i was like out in the barrier reef and i sort of uh, i was snorkeling and i saw a turtle so i sort of took a deep breath, dove down with a GoPro, got a shot of it, came back up. And I was like, oh, I think I can get a better take and went back uh-huh. down. And then remember coming back up, sort of swimming there going, holy shit, this is my job. This is like, <laughs> yes. this is amazing. I'm just, you know, I mean, most of my freelance jobs are pretty dull, but, uh, but that was one of those living the dream moments. I like, go, oh, I can't like, I can't believe this is actually happening. So that was pretty sweet. Amazing. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. 
And I wanted to move on to the more um, staple questions from the show now sure. and ask you what your favorite city is that you've ever been to. It's it's a, a picking. I made some notes for these, so I didn't sort of sit here going, um, um, <laughs> hard, but uh, it is hard to pick a favorite city because you enjoy different places for mm. different reasons. But the sort of left field answer I was going to go for was actually uh, Nashville in the States because okay. it's... Uh, uh, I mean, I could have easily picked a Japanese city, but I could probably pick Japan for every answer in these questions. Yeah. So <laughs> I thought I'd go with Nashville because it's just every bar has got live music in and the, all the bands are amazing. It's not like walking into a pub with a crappy cover band destroying your favorite song. Like they're all amazing. And because I was a musician myself, like I loved just hearing it. And you don't get as many UK tourists there in like the deep south kind mm -hmm. of areas. I mean, of course, UK travelers do go there, but they're not as common. And so just walking into a bar like it was kind of like love actually just everyone wants to buy you a drink everyone wants to chat to you and you know and it was just you just walk in and sort of go hello and like oh my gosh where are you from and just it was just the most fun town and i remember we drove, did a day trip from there to the jack daniels distillery um mm. the one that's used in all the adverts and stuff but it was the tour was sold out and then we're like, oh, well, we'll go for a drink. Um, but the county that's in is actually a dry county. You can't buy alcohol oh, really? <laughs> because it's like a really religious area. Um, so it was like kind of like, oh, well, let's go play mini golf again. <laughs> go back. But yeah, Nashville's a good one. I'd love to go back to Nashville again, actually. And what about if I had to push you for a city that's a bit cheaper? That's a good one. You could go to somewhere like in Vietnam, go to Hanoi. <laughs> like, mm. uh, the old quarter in Hanoi, it's, um, I wouldn't call it my favorite or anything, but the really fun thing you have there is that they have the beer hoy uh, which is like this locally brewed beer that you have to drink on a day and it's like um it's like 15p for a glass um so you sit there with backpackers and locals chatting away and that's um yeah that could be so much fun i'm trying to think of other ones now because uh, <laughs> again japan wouldn't fix it's definitely not one of the cheaper <laughs> ones <laughs> Uh, yeah yeah go to hanoi and city breaks versus beaches you've seen them all what yeah. is your favorite cities or beaches I, I go for a third answer and say mountains but yeah. uh uh if i'm going away for a weekend it's probably a city break because you have more things to do mm. it, it, it's if you've only gone away for a weekend and you're going to go try and chill on the beach you kind of always aware well tomorrow you're flying home although i did a, i did a, i went to santorini for a weekend about a year and a bit ago and uh we, yeah we kind of made the most of that we sort of did a boat tour one day and stuff um but generally speaking uh city breaks i mean once all this lockdown stuff's over i'll definitely be sort of just doing more trips out to europe just for mm -hmm. a weekend like the cheap flights and uh yeah. stuff because there's so much fun to have, have me i i sort of i have a lot of friends because i grew up in the north of england you know rather than going up to sheffield or up to durham to meet up we'll get a flight to poland or something because it's yeah. it's cheaper than the train ticket and when you get there, it's like, you know, a pound a beer rather than five pounds and stuff. And, and you're in a different town, different culture, different food. So um, I do miss just nipping away doing those. Amazing. Lovely idea as well. Yeah. And a favorite country. You've spoke about the fact that you love mountains. I feel like I can guess what your answer is going to be. <laughs> well, my favorite country is New Zealand. Um, uh, Switzerland's second one. And yeah, Japan's probably third. I mean, New Zealand just loved to death. Uh, I had so many great memories there, and I could, I sort of, I could happily live there, um, mm. other than the fact it is on the other side of the world. So it'd be, uh, you know, hard sort of still seeing the family and friends, and um, and I got friends out there, but also it's just not a good base for traveling because mm. you're just so far away. There's no short getaway trips in New Zealand. Every every trip's like a you know a massive journey. So uh, London 
uh, is a much better base for sort of my lifestyle. Um, mm. But but if I had like a super fast private jet, then maybe I would <laughs> maybe I would live there. Of course, being a freelancer, you have the freedom to live wherever you want. Has it ever crossed your mind to live in another country? Um, well, before before this year, um, all the work I'd still have to go into my clients' offices because um, oh, really? okay. uh, it's it's different. If you're like a freelance graphic designer or something, then you can work from anywhere because all your clients have to do is send you a couple of pictures or mm. uh, whilst with a video, um, even if you're just creating a three minute video, they could have like 500 gigabytes of footage or something, which trying to download on like a hostile Wi-Fi yeah. would take about <laughs> a few years. So um, everything's always been you go into the clients offices in town and work now with lockdown some of it i get sort of sent over the internet but often i'll like they'll send a courier with a hard drive to my flat so it just it just uh it makes sense just to stay here and i, I kind of like having the home base as well so when i own a flat now as well i've owned a place for just over a year so it's sort of nice having the base and just sort of going from one to the other awesome and i want to move on to talk about money now and sure. ask you where the cheapest country you've ever visited is probably india was dirt cheap I mean, I had six six weeks of traveling there. I spent, I think it was about a thousand pounds. And that was not me even holding back. You know, it was just like the hostels were like four or five pounds a night for a dorm. Uh, I mean, probably the cheapest place we went was Venezuela, but that's because the economy was just, I mean, it's it was doing bad in 2015. It's like so bad now, but it was literally, you know, I remember James needed to go buy some new, toothpaste and shaving foam and it cost him like 4p and i'm just like <laughs> it was like what and we just because each of us got a hundred dollars exchanged into the the bolivar the local country, currency at the start hmm. and we got it on the black market rate and we just couldn't get rid of the money like we just sort of you know it was just so cheap which is you know it's kind of fun but as long as you don't actually think about why it's yeah. like you know it's sort of uh it's sort of almost like a bright white privilege thing going oh it's so amazing it's so cheap here it's like yeah mm. but everyone people are dying and stuff yeah. um but it was nice yeah. <laughs> when it is that cheap but uh even other places like uh when i was in colombia for not that long but and colombia is not dirt cheap but it's uh some of the hostels we were staying at were like six pounds a night. And we stayed in this hostel that used to be in a mansion of someone in the drug cartel. And that's what they said anyway. And they had this sort of rooftop swimming pool with like what used to be a hot tub. It's now just normal temperature water. Wow. And I remember posting pictures of it on like Facebook back in the day. And I was going, oh my God, how much do you spend on that place? And like six pounds. <laughs> like, like what? That's how much I spent on this pint, you know? So, <laughs> yeah. On the other end of the scale, what is the most expensive country you've ever been to? I think uh, I remember Singapore yeah. being super expensive. Like everyone says Japan's really expensive, but Japan is about the same cost-wise, the same as in England. Mm. It's just because like eating out is such a big thing in Japan. We were doing that all the time. And so if you ate out every night in England, you, you know, your money would vanish. And mm. so it was the same for us there. You know, I remember, I mean, I'm, I, this is the way I judge money in every place is how much is the beer. So I keep using yeah, that as an example, but like Singapore, you sort of go past these places and it was like, you know, 13 pounds a pint in their happy yeah. hour. We're like, that's Crazy. not happy, you know? So, 
I always notice it. I haven't really explored the Middle East at all yet, but whenever I'm changing planes in Dubai or Abu Dhabi and you sort of try and get a drink at the airport and it's like 20 quid or something, yeah, yeah. Just, just seeing everyone come to the pub going, what? And leaving. So. <laughs> yeah. You've said yourself that you're not a foodie. Yeah. I wanted to ask, do you ever look forward to trying local dishes? Yeah, I do. I mean, I've, I'm, I'm not passionate about food, but I've mm. sort of, I do love trying the different foods whilst mm. traveling and I've, I've gotten a lot better with it. I mean, on my first backpacking trip, 2006, like at the start of it, you know, I was such a picky eater growing up. And I think it's because like my mum's a really picky eater. So I just never mm. really tasted a big variety of food. But at the start of that trip, I was the guy in Singapore going to McDonald's kind of thing, <laughs> <Yeah>. you know? <laughs> um, and, but by the end of the trip, I was in Fiji. And like the thing with traveling, it just, you get in these situations where it's like, well, look, if you don't eat this, you're mm. going to go hungry. So you're like, screw it, I'll try it. And then you try it and go, oh, wait a minute, that doesn't taste so bad. In fact, mm. it tastes amazing. So by the end of the trip, I was in Fiji and I had a sort of buffet laid out and i was looking at going i don't know what half this stuff is but i'm going to try every bit of it and um and so now i sort of look forward to giving things a try um doesn't mean i'll necessarily like them but mm. other people who i have friends who are massive foodies and they'll sort of go they'll go to a place because of the food and they'll yeah. go seeking out the dishes whilst for me it's just like a an added bonus going oh yeah. yeah let's try that and this might be hard to remember but is there a best food you've ever eaten whilst abroad there's been plenty of good plenty of good food i remember having one of the best steaks I had was actually in the States. There's this old video on my channel called The Grand Circle when I was going around the national parks with my mom, actually. Mm. And we're in this little town called Durango in Colorado. And it looked like, you know, like an old Western town. I mean, it was an old Western town and they just kept the decor up. And we're in this old hotel with like a banjo band playing and stuff. Mm. And very touristy, but it was still, it felt, it was, it was awesome. And they brought out this steak and it was just the best steak ever. But uh, one of the foods... A uh, place I really enjoyed was at the end of our Japan trip, we were in this little town called Hakone, which is by Mount Fuji. Mm. And so we did a sort of loop around to sort of see Mount Fuji for the day. And we got back to the town like mid-afternoon. And uh, it was a bit of a walk to our hostel. And we're both like dying for a piss. And so we saw this bar called like Japanese uh, beer and barbecue. Mm. And so we went in and ordered a beer and, you know, used the toilet. And then they said, oh, do you want some food? And we're like, yeah, go on. And it's one of those ones where you cook the food yourself, like yeah. you have a barbecue for it. So they brought out this sort of meat that was just, you know, prepared so amazing. We started cooking it. And we ended up spending about three hours in there just like, bring us more, bring us more. And that was, I, I love meals. like I love barbecues. So just sort of doing it yourself in front of you. Uh, that was really good. Amazing. And what country is the best for food? Uh, I would say... It's, I th for me, it was Japan, I think. Yeah. Uh, I think. I mean, even though I'm not a big seafood eater, it was just, mm. there was just so many different things to try. It's funny because I was saying like my mum's not a big, you know, super picky with food and she went on a tour in Japan like a year or two ago, but that tour, they'd had a set menu for them every day. Oh, and really? so, she, so she just barely ate yeah. anything whilst I was like, oh, if you could just go out and eat your own food, you'd be fine. You'll find plenty of stuff you'd like. Um, so Japan was good. India was good. It's nice trying lots of different things there. And um, I only got food poisoning one night as well. So I did really well in six weeks. Just, just, just one night. I had people there who get taken out for weeks and stuff. So um, I did pretty well there. So yeah. And also like just, I love the food just in, in I mean, saying Europe is a bit of a generalization, but yeah. just generally mainland Europe, the food's way better than it is in the UK. And just, just even if you go buy bread from a bakery, it's just like you could eat the bread without anything else and it still yeah. tastes amazing. So generally sort of just uh, getting across the channel and suddenly everything tastes loads better. Completely agree. And is there a holiday that means the most to you? The obvious answer is HK2MY because mm. uh, it was just the biggest trip and 
the best nine months ever. And what happened with that video kind of sort of changed my life and stuff. Um, other ones, I think, I think the Everest trip, especially where we went back and did the base camp trek like a year and a half later, that was really cool to sort of, because it could have been, I mean, I say it's at the end of the video, but it could have been one of those things where go like, oh, we'll do it one day, you know, yeah. and never get around to it. So the fact we went back, we did it and we had like one of the best groups ever. That was really special. And also I think the New Zealand road trip I did in 2017, uh, it was like seven weeks driving around the North and South Island. And it's like my third time in the country. And I remember at the airport at the end sort of not feeling sad. I was like, just feeling content. Like that trip was perfect. Mm. I got everything out of it I wanted to. So if I've got to go home now, fair enough. Cause I've, it just, it went exactly how I wanted. So that was pretty special. Amazing. And on the Everest base camp trip is something you've made me want to do since watching that video. <laughs> so I wanted to ask you inquisitively, how difficult was it and how much it, you it, trained beforehand? It's, there's not, I mean, I had a reasonable level of fitness, but nothing extravagant. Mm. If there was no such thing as sort of altitude sickness or any of that, then the hike wouldn't be, you know, if you're used to walking and, you know, going on hikes and walking uphill mm. for extended period of time, then physically that way, it's nothing too strenuous you just have to sort of teach yourself because i'm quite a fast walker you have to teach yourself to walk slowly and just mm. kind of plod and sort <laughs> of walk at like a frustratingly slow pace but once you get used to that and then you just you just get on with it so it was hard but it wasn't like each day we were dying or anything like yeah. that it was just you kind of and you're only walking like half a day each time mm. so it's not like you're hiking all day long so the distances aren't too bad it's just yeah it's just the altitude i mean the hardest thing was after we got to base camp we then went up to the viewpoint Kalapatar, which is like a few hundred meters higher than the base mm. camp um, which you normally do the day after but the weather was good so we went screw it and yeah. that was Whilst a lot of the final bit of the path to the base camps just on a slight incline, this was like super oh. steep up. And it was just after the long day already, like that first 20 minutes was like, you know, it's like Frodo going up Mount Doom, just like, <laughs> just keep trying to keep going. But and I remember I got to a certain point going, oh, that's a better view of Everest than I ever imagined getting. So let's just see how far everything else is gravy from now on. Just keep <laughs> pushing. And then we, yeah, we got to the top. And at the end of that, I was like, physically and emotionally at like the complete opposite ends of the scale, like emotionally just so happy and just mm. so pleased and everything, but physically just sort of dead. <laughs> so like, it's kind of like inside, you're just absolutely buzzing, but on the outside on camera going, yeah, that was great. You know, just yeah, looking so yeah. tired. <laughs> and is there a place you could always go back to? Oh, well, Switzerland's one of the places I do keep going mm. back to. You know, we f I first went there when I was two. And so it has like so much nostalgia mm. and memories. So that's one I always like going back to. Um, I mean, like things like Australia and New Zealand, I could keep going back to, but it's just hard because they're on the other side of the world. Yeah. Um, it's, I think it's the place I went to growing up a lot, like the States as well, because I sort of know them. I just sort of, uh, I think the places you've been to a few times are easy to go back to because you just kind of, uh, you know, you go to some countries that are new and it's exciting, it's an adventure and it's challenging. Mm -hmm. And other ones, you kind of just go like, oh, right, I know my way around. I know yeah. what I'm doing. Nice. And I watched your video where you went to La Sabrina in, in 2020. Yeah. And I wanted to ask, because I've not been away since the pandemic struck. So what was it like to travel during COVID? Um, it was okay, actually. Like at the airport, everything was pretty much the same, just wearing a mask. Mm. But as soon as you get to, I mean, I always usually go for a pre-flight pint and as soon as you sat down at the bar or the restaurant, you could take your mask off. So it's mm. like, oh, well, this is like normal, you know? Yeah. Um, so it wasn't that, it was surprisingly not very strange, you know? I thought it would be weird. I mean, it'd be different if you had to do a long haul flight and wearing a mask for like mm. 11 hours, like your ears would be killing by the end, I'm sure. And then once I got to Switzerland, 
yeah, it just seemed all surprisingly normal. I mean, you know, you had to wear masks indoors and things like that, but I was mostly outdoors. So, so in terms of the strangeness of it, it wasn't that strange. And then when I got to Lauterbrunnen that day, I was staying in Wengen, you know, I only had one day there and it had been raining all week in the mountains. It was going to rain every day after I left, but it yeah. stayed. I remember the, on the Monday, checking the forecast for the Friday, the day I was going to be there and it said perfect sunshine. I was like, right, just don't change because the yeah, weather changes yeah. so fast and it just stayed like that. And so like uh, the video I made of that, I thought it was just going to be like a little 10 minute kind of like, oh, here's where it's like flying. And I went to the mountains. Yay, that was good. But it turned into like this 25 minute thing because it just, it was the perfect, perfect day. And it was just, you know, I made sure just to soak up every single moment of it. And I mean, like half the time in a video, when it's stuff I even cut out of the video because it was just like just got repetitive of me just sort of kind of giggling going i can't believe i'm here i can't yeah. believe i'm here and it's like i'll say it once or twice in the edit but people get the point you know i remember that especially when you sat on the bench and you had a beer and you just looked over the view of the mountains and just like took it all in yeah. it was nice watching you be entirely present in the moment when i was that the exact same bench a year beforehand you know it was like normal times and it was about you know 15 20 people in that area of watching the mm. sunset and so i was expecting people there and i got there had it all to myself so it meant right i could put the camera down over mm. on the other bench and leave it running and get that wide shot. Mm. Um, but then just sort of sit, you know, and just take it in. And it's, it's such a amazing viewpoint. Cause you can see right down to Lauterbrunn Valley and all the way up to the Jungfrau peak and stuff. And all you can hear is just the only sound you can hear is like waterfalls in the distance, you know, and no cars, no nothing. And so to sort of not just to be able to go away in 2020, but to go mm. to like my favorite spot in the world, was just, it was a piss take. It was just like, yeah. like the whole time again, I was just going, oh, this is nuts. This is absolutely nuts. So, and I'm so glad I made the video of that trip because mm. it was over so quick. It could have been like, did that even happen? So mm. to have to have the video of that one was great because you just sort of, you know, just relive it over and over. I watched it a load. When we sort of got back into lockdown, I was like, right, I'm going to put it on again and just, nice. like, you know, relive that day, you know, it's like escapism for myself. And I wanted to ask how you were coping. I don't want to talk about COVID for too long. Because, yeah. God, we're all bored, sick of it. <laughs> <laughs> I wanted to ask how you were coping as a travel YouTube vlogger because of COVID. Um, it's sort of been okay. For, I mean, it sucks. Um, but I mean, for one, yeah, I make most of my income off editing for other clients that are non-travel related. So it, although all that work dried up in the initial lockdown, but luckily it's picked up again now. So like luckily I'm financially I'm, I'm fine now. Uh, it And it also, it gave me a chance to catch up on lots of projects that I've been meaning to do for a while. And I sort of rebuilt my website. My website's now got like the budgets and itineraries for all my trips. Yeah, I, I enjoyed using it to prep. Yeah, all right. Yeah, I mean, it's like, it's... <laughs> It's sort of a, the stuff I get asked all the time and it, you know, it takes a while to put together. Um, so it's great. It's just been like, I wanted to sort of look back at 2020 going like, that's the year I got shit done. Like mm. I had, I used all the time productively and I got loads of things done. I've edited some old series. I've been sitting on hard drives for years, you know, the Australia thing, the Island film, mm. I've done the website, built a new store. That's just been, I've just made live today. There's a video going out about it on Friday. Awesome. Um, so it's just, it's been really sort of productive. I mean, it's, it has been some hard and down and depressing days, but, mm. you know, compared to people who have lost their jobs or lost, yeah. f lost fret, like friends or family or, or even people who've, you know, have been financially fine, but have had to work at home with their kids and stuff like that. Yeah. Like, yeah, my brother's got two young kids, you know, and I, I live by myself. So I haven't had to compromise with anyone. I've been free to be productive. You know, so it's sort of all things considered, I've had it pretty good. And, uh, but I didn't want to, 
you know, it's one of those things you're sort of tempted by the end of the year to sort of go like, oh, I've actually, actually been all right. I've got all this stuff done, but I don't want mm-hmm. to sort of, and I, mean, I don't mind talking about it now, but I wouldn't do like yeah. an Instagram post of about course. it. Yeah. Just All you'd be doing was be patting yourself on the back and you I mean, it's just going to make other people feel like shit. Because <laughs> <You know? laughs> it's not, it's for other people, it's it's harder. So, because mm, um, like, I think the best meme I saw about the whole thing was like, we're all the same storm, but a different boat kind of thing so mm. it's like it's different for everyone so um i'm sort of lucky that i have been able to get tons done brilliant and we're recording this on the day that boris has told us that we're going back to the tiered system which i'm not sure yeah. is good or bad but do you have any plans in place to travel again soon i'm hopefully going away in january there's a couple of destinations in mind which i won't talk about just because i don't want to jinx it <laughs> but and one of them if it comes through which is the most likely one i know i'm being a bit of a tease but not saying which one it is but but i will be quarantining for two weeks when i arrive there okay um, but they'll be putting me up in a nice hotel so it won't mm. be i think the hotel like the room will be bigger than my apartment anyway. So if that comes through, that'd be awesome. But then in April, hopefully we'll get to do the Borneo tour that I was going to do last April. We Mm. put back a year, but we'll make a decision on that at the start of January, just as to whether it'll be open in time. If not, we might put a tour on in June. We're thinking either Turkey or Iceland. And it just, again, depends on how things, because everything changes so fast, Mm. but at least now vaccines are starting to come out. So things should start opening up and then hopefully next summer as well we're going to do this eastern european road trip which we're supposed to do this summer um and that's gonna be me and my friends nick and amy who run a different travel podcast <laughs> uh your competition <laughs> um what the phone travel podcast but they yeah. we're gonna drive from uh Tallinn in estonia down to athens and greece going through all eastern europe like ukraine and all this uh, kind of stuff and it'll be an amazing trip places that people don't travel to quite as much. Mm. And hopefully uh, we're in talks with Vauxhall to get us an electric car to do it. Um, oh, nice. Yeah, which we originally, our plan was just to buy a secondhand car and sell it in Greece because you can't, mm. no rental company will allow you to take one from yeah. <laughs> down to Greece. Yeah, one of their mates does PR for Vauxhall and he heard about our idea and they seem up for it. So that'll be... Amazing. That'd be amazing, you know, and it'll save us some money as well. <laughs> awesome. Loads of great plans. I'll keep my fingers crossed for you, mate, because I hope that comes. Yeah. And 2021 is a bit brighter. I wanted yeah. to talk about your bucket list now because there can't be anywhere left on it, surely. <laughs> <laughs> There's still always the nice thing about, I mean, it's almost like my catchphrase is like the more you travel, the more you want to see. So there's lots of places I still want to go to. I mean, I did I one of the videos I've just filmed for my channel. I just did a scratch map, which I guess scratch map was never really my sort of thing. Like my goal isn't to tick off every country or scratch it all off. It's just to have as many cool experiences as possible. Mm. Um, but looking at it, I was like, there's so much more of Africa the continent. I want to see mm. there's a lot more of South America. I've done bits and pieces of South America, but like, for example, I was kind of a bit pedantic with the scratch map. Like I've scratched off a tiny bit of Brazil because I've done yes. that bit, but yeah. I didn't feel like right scratching off the whole <laughs> So I want to see loads more Brazil. Um, Hawaii is the one I really want to do as well. And then it's just like Trans-Siberian Express, Patagonia, Antarctica, Pakistan, you know, this goes on and on. So, Amazing. But it's nice though. It's nice. I'd like the idea that there's always more stuff to see, right? Like imagine if we sort of did HK10Y and came back, went, well, <laughs> that's, that's the world done. <laughs> I'll stay home now. So it's, I prefer it the other way around. Yeah. And you mentioned Antarctica because I think I'm right in saying it's the only continent you've never produced a documentary on yeah i have not i've not been there yeah hopefully we're aiming to do it january 23 um, amazing uh with intrepid uh and we'll put it on it'll be one of the tours that i'll host but we'll put it on sale like 
a good 18 months in advance mm. so that people have time to save up for it because it won't be cheap it's like mm. a few grand um but it'll be a mate we just you know i mean as, as a kid you sort of you never even imagine going to antarctica and no. now the fact you can just yeah go on a tour there and it'll be fun <laughs> you know it should be amazing amazing thanks so much carl i really appreciate you coming on the podcast if people want to see your travel documentaries we've spoken about then you can go to carl watson on youtube and there's so so many there to binge on thank you again carl really appreciate it cheers alex been good fun mate So there we go. That was episode nine with Carl Watson. What an amazing guy with some amazing stories. It was so great to have him on the podcast. An absolute pleasure of mine. And I hope you enjoyed it too. Make sure to go and watch his travel documentaries. They honestly are incredible. And whilst you're there, subscribe to his YouTube channel. And if you're not done there, then go over to Instagram and follow us on Instagram at Travel Talks Podcast and leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. It really does help. We've had over 35 reviews now, and it really does mean a lot to me. We've been flying up the charts too. So maybe in 2021, we can reach that number one spot. We can dream anyway. Thank you very much, guys. And I'll see you guys next week. 